the God I knew growing up was harsh and critical and judgmental, and that didn't serve me well because I could never achieve what he was, what I felt like he was asking me to do. My journey really, I think, changed when I came to the end of myself uh, in dealing with my codependency issues. Codependency, for me, revolved around the fact that I had a spouse who drank. If he drank, then I attacked his drinking as if that would help me feel better. And when he was struggling with my behaviors, that escalated his drinking. So our relationship revolved around whether he was or was not drinking. On my 50th birthday, I can remember being in my kitchen here. My sister was here and she was talking with me and I just burst into tears. I, was, I just simply wasn't happy. And I thought, if this is all there is to life, I'm really ready to just check out. I, I don't know that I necessarily would think I was suicidal, but I definitely wasn't happy in where my life was. I was suggested by other people that over the years that maybe I would want to seek out some Al-Anon recovery and life changed. After that, I began to see small things, and that included being baptized. So in March of 2012, I was baptized, and that journey is where I began to try to unpack who God was. I needed somebody to guide me toward the God that's loving and gentle and patient and kind, and the people in that group did that for me. I have friends there who are very strong Christians, and their influence on my life has been uh, monumental, just in pointing me in the right way. Life experiences like a miscarriage or marrying someone who drank or automobile accidents or death of a loved one, none of those things were punishment from God, and I used to think that they were. I had to go back to Scripture and look at who, who do I believe God to be? And He gave me Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as for uh, life verse for me to hold on to is I can't rely on my own understanding. I need to rely on God and He will direct my steps. That to me is a surrendered life, is just knowing God is in control and when it starts feeling crazy for me, that's when I'm trying to take control again. That process helped me see God as He is, not who I thought He had been in the past. He was a loving, gentle, kind, patient God. When I'm surrounded by particularly now in my Celebrate Recovery women's group, women who will pray for me, that will check on me, that will ask how I am, and I don't just have to say fine. I can actually say how I'm doing, and they're going to be there to support me regardless of whether I'm having a good day, a bad day, or something in between. I will hear someone's voice in my head in a certain circumstance, and I have to trust that that's not God's voice. I need to go back to scripture that tells me you're loved, you're worthy, and you're going to be fine. I've got you. There's nothing you have to fear. Oh, my life today is full of peace and serenity, and I still have lots of struggles. There are still things that come up daily or weekly that challenge me, but I know where to go now with my struggles. I don't try to fix them myself, and I don't expect someone else to fix them for me. I go straight to Jesus, and He faithfully, time and time again, leads me through what I need to do to own my part, what I need to leave to Him. And I am a very content woman.
Yeah, good morning, Northside. My name's Jacob. Um, I'm on the student team here. And yeah, isn't that just like, you see that and you want to clap. It's just a good thing to see that story. And I mean, I was even talking to Marie before this service and I kind of joked with her. I was like, you're famous now. And she said, I'm not famous. Jesus is famous. And I was like, ah, I feel bad for what I said now. Like her attitude is just so much better than mine. There's just something good about life change. There's something good about transformation. It's the reason that when we see people get baptized, we don't boo them when they come out of the water. We, we cheer for them. It's a good thing. And if, if you noticed in her video, Marie, she had a phrase. She actually had um, a few phrases where she said, I, I changed how I saw Jesus. I changed when I saw Jesus. She, she changed just her focus on Jesus. And then once she did that, she talks about how her life starts to change. It wasn't until she changed her focus that her life changed. And here's a truth that Marie learned that I think we're going to learn today is that our focus affects, if not, determines our actions. Our focus, it affects, if not full on determines our actions. I've experienced this in my life before and in ways outside of just church. Um, I go to Planet Fitness. I know your first question is like, then where are your muscles? Pray for me, all right? Like, we're, we're in process for seven years now, uh, but we're in process. And I go to Planet Fitness, and there was one time where I was running on the treadmill, and usually I'm on the treadmill. I'm pretty straight and narrow. I'm looking right in front of me. I'm watching Sports Center. I'm watching Flip or Flop, just whatever's on right there. But there was one day where my attention was um, taken away. And I could not stop looking to my left. And the reason why was because there is a gentleman to my left who's on the stair stepper. And he wasn't doing anything wrong. He wasn't being weird or anything. Um, it, it, it was just what he was wearing that was confusing to me. Now, if you don't know what the stair stepper is, it's a torture device that they have at Planet Fitness. It's just like right there. You can use it. It's crazy. But this guy, he's, he's doing a stair stepper. And what he was wearing was combat boots, jeans, a button up, and a leather jacket. And I was just like, and I'm not making fun of him. In fact, sir, if you're here, come talk to me after. Like, I have questions. Like, what do you wear to weddings? I want to know, like, what your, what your attire is. And so I'm kind of looking at him. I'm around the treadmill. I'm like, okay. My man's like getting his, getting his stair stepper in. And then he did something. I still question to this day. I'm not sure what was going on. He reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a bag of Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, interesting. Like maybe he forgot them. Maybe they're from some weird Tootsie Roll party. Like I have no idea what's going on. But he didn't forget them. They're for, they're for purpose. He starts to open them just slowly one by one, eat the Tootsie Rolls while he's on the stair stepper. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> like what is going on right now? And so I'm still watching him. And Planet Fitness became like Planet fitting these Tootsie Rolls in his mouth like really quickly. He's just going for it. And I don't notice that as I'm looking to the left, as I am focused over here, my body has slightly started to shift to the left. And I am so intrigued by my Tootsie Roll friend over there that I don't notice that I am almost to the edge of the treadmill. And before I can do anything, my left foot hits the side of the treadmill and just stops. And I'm like, that's not how treadmills work. This is super weird. And then my right foot, because I was going decently fast, shoots off. And the best way I can describe it is I was ejected off the back of the treadmill, all right? <laughs> Middle Planet Fitness. And I just fall right off and I fall to the ground. I'm not sure if you've ever fallen off a treadmill in Planet Fitness. Um, I've actually fallen off three treadmills in my life, only one in public. And I don't know if you've ever done this before. No one helps you. It's crazy, all right? Just silence. It's no, no one was there. And I found out that if you're at Planet Fitness and you fall off a treadmill, 
you just stand up and you leave. You do not get your stuff. You don't get your jacket. You don't like pass go, collect 200. You, you might cancel your membership, right? Like on the way out, you're like, and I'm never coming back. But I found out that day that what I was focused on affected, but for me, it really did. It determined my actions in church. Here's what I think we're going to learn. Even in our walk with Jesus, even when it comes to how we love and how, how we act as a Christian, our focus affects, if not determines, our actions. And so let me ask you this question today. What are you focused on when it comes to Jesus? What are you focused on when you hear the phrase, walk with Jesus? What's the first thing that pops into your mind when I ask the question, what are you focused on? Because our focus is going to determine how we live. Even when it comes to living a Christian life, even when it comes to following Jesus, our focus matters. Now, if you've not been with us um, the past few weeks, we've been doing something a little bit different when we read the first scripture of the day. Um, we've been standing up and we do this as a sign of respect, but really today what I want us to do is just make it a sign of focus that we're here, we're in the moment and ready to learn. So if you guys would, we just stand up with me as I read from the book of Revelation. Chapter two, starting in verse 12. Here's what it says. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you've remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is that, like that of Balaam, who saw Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone. And on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. You guys can have a seat. Now, there's a lot going on in there. And this series is all about looking at the seven churches revelation, seeing what Jesus said to them, but then allowing it to surpass time and see what Jesus is actually saying to us. Maybe the American church, but at times maybe just Northside Christian church. And so to do that, we need to know what's going on in Pergamum. We need to understand what that city was all about and understand why he was talking to them. And so the city of Pergamum, if you notice, there's two parts in there where he talks about Satan with the city of Pergamum. And he calls it Satan's city. He calls it where Satan has his throne. And maybe on the outside, you're like, okay, if it's a bad city like that, it's probably like dark and gloomy, possibly on fire. If it's Satan's city, it's the opposite. It's a bustling thriving, really growing city. It is the political capital of Asia Minor at that time. It is like the cultural or educational center of the, of the ancient world. There is a library there, second biggest library in the ancient world, 200,000 volumes of parchment that you could go and you could learn. It is one of the most religious, if not the most religious city of that time, but not all those religions, actually pretty much all the religions weren't about Jesus. There's Greek gods everywhere. You had Demeter, Dionysus, Athena, and Zeus. You had the first ever um, emperor cult. There was a temple that you could just come and you could worship Caesar and you could go and worship a politician. And it's th this is the backdrop for the city. 
This is what's going on. And I love that Jesus starts this letter and he says, hey, I know where you're at. You're in Satan's city. It's bad news, but you didn't deny me. And church, I think that's worth noting that Jesus, even, even though he's gonna have some complaints later, he says, you not denying me, you holding fast to my name, that, that matters. That's good. But he does have some complaints. And this is what he says in verse 14. He says, but I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you. His teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. And he taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Now, you might remember the Nicolaitans from a few weeks ago. They had um, made a pact with society. They, they kind of did whatever they wanted to do. They liked to lord it over the people. But you might not know who Balaam or Balak is. And here, here's the gist of the story. It's an Old Testament prophet. And yes, he's a prophet, but he's not an Israelite. He's not one of God's chosen people. And so he listened to God. He knew that God was real, but didn't really have a care to do what God wanted him to do. And it shows up in a big way when Balak, the king of Moab, comes and says, hey, help me trip up the people of Israel. And even though he can't say what God doesn't want him to say, he doesn't care about helping the Israelites. And he shows Balak how they can act in different ways to come to ruin. And this is what's happening in Pergamum. Do you hear it? He's saying, church, you, you walk and you, you talk, right? Like you, you're, you're talking and you're saying, man, I'm not going to deny Jesus. I am a Christian. I'm a follower of the way. Go, Jesus. Even when Antipas, it gets murdered on the side of a mountain, like you did not deny my name. But he says, but you're not living like you know me. You might say it. You're not denying it, which is good. But you're not living like you know me. You're not living a life that reflects me. And really the word, the phrase he's circling here is he's saying you're not living a holy life. Did you guys know that we, we pray often for God's will? And do you know that it says straight up in the Bible what God's will for your life is? It's like not even a secret. It says it in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. It says God's will for your life is to be holy. Like maybe you thought like it was gonna be some secret, like it was gonna be like some code. I mean, it just says it straight up. God's will for your life is to be holy. God's, it doesn't say anything else. It says holy, not happy, not successful, not culturally relevant, not winning, not right. None of that stuff. It says God's will is for you to be holy. Does he care about the other stuff? I think so to a certain extent, but his will for your life is to be holy. And church, this is one of those moments where we can look at the church of Pergamum how they're not living holy. And Jesus says, you need to live holy. And we can hold up the mirror and say, man, maybe this affects us. I'm sure that I'm not the only person who at times in my life have been like, I'm a Christian. And then I go and do something that Christians shouldn't do. It could just be me. But I, I think Jesus would say, hey, you're, you're, you're talking the right talk, but are you walking it? Are you living Holy, do you know that God's will for your life is to be holy? And this is where we need to slow down for just a second. And we really need to dig into what this idea of holiness is. We need to know what living holy, what being holy looks like so that we can do it together. Because if we don't know what holy is, we can't hope to act holy. We can't hope to live holy. And so, so often um, we equate holiness to this word religious purity or sacredness or set-apartness. And those are all right. Those are all good things. But really at the base of holiness, before it's any of those other things, it's this idea of selectedness of being chosen. 
And it's different. Mark Moore, um, he has a book called Core 52. And if you just want to learn more about the faith, about Jesus, I would suggest go buy this book. It is in our resource center right now for like a third of the price that it usually is. Get, grab it. It is so good. Here's how he describes holiness. Check this out. Makes it so easy. He said, holiness happens when God takes ordinary objects and he claims them for his purposes. Let me say it again. Holiness happens when God takes ordinary objects and he claims them for his purposes. Do you see the flow that's happening there? There's very specific steps going on. So what happens, holiness happens when God's presence shows up somewhere. God shows up, his presence is there, and it's followed by a proclamation. He proclaims over something and says, hey, object, you are holy now. I'm claiming you as mine. And then once those two things happen, once the presence is there and the proclamation is made, then the purposes change. It goes presence, proclamation, purpose. And it's in that order. We see this in Exodus 3, 5. There's a moment where God has shown up in this burning bush and he's talking to Moses and Moses walks up and he goes, Moses, Moses, you need to take your sandals off because you are stepping on holy ground right now. And I don't think this happened. I don't think God came down to earth and said, let me look at this ground. Okay, ground, which one of you has like read your Bible this morning? That didn't happen. He didn't say like, all right, ground, like who listened to WayFM on your way to work at the ground this morning? <laughs> You're like, who, who did that? He didn't, he didn't do that. You know what he did? He showed up, his presence. He proclaimed over it. And then the ground's purposes changed and it was holy ground. And that same flow, that same process happens with you and I. Leviticus 11:45 says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy. Why? Because I am holy. Do you see what happens there? God shows up in Egypt. He shows up in the wilderness. He shows up right now with us. And then he proclaims over us and he says, be holy. Do you notice that that be holy, before he is telling us to be holy, he is calling us holy. And then because he calls us holy, we then live holy. Our purposes change and we get to have that. God makes things holy and then we get to live within that purpose. And here's, here's the deal. Pergamum, at some point, missed it. And they're not living holy. And they're not living a life that reflects who Jesus is. And let's be honest, there's lots of times, at least in my life, where I miss it too. And I think the issue is our focus can be off. Our focus determines our actions. It affects our actions. And I think even when it comes to living holy, our focus matters. I think the church of Pergamum, their issue is this. Um, they, they just said, hey, God calls us holy so we can do whatever we want to, right? Like we can go do this and we can commit this sin and we can go hang out with these people and that's just not how it should be. And mine's a little different and maybe this is your story too. I try to make myself holy all the time and I find out that I fail a lot. I try to build these perimeters around my life and I say, okay, here's what I can do. If, if I focus on what I should do when I shouldn't do, then I'll finally be holy. And so I start to make on this side a, a checklist of things I have to do. Or I'm like, okay, I gotta, you know, serve this many times. I gotta make sure I listen to this much worship music. I gotta make sure I pray and I gotta make sure I encourage two people and I gotta make sure I help three old ladies across the street. Or I was like, this, this, this. And then when I miss one of those boxes, I feel like a failure. I feel like I'm lost. And I honestly, what I do is I get 
really, really, really intense with myself. And I say, Jacob, you failed. You're a a loser. God's mad at you. You're not holy anymore. And God makes me holy. I don't make me holy. And then sometimes I, I move over here and I say, man, what if you just stayed away from things? And I focus on this side and I say, okay, you can't look at this. You can't talk about this. You can't think about this. You can't say this. And you say this, 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 this. And then eventually, because I'm a human, like Hannah said, I fail. And then I'm like, oh man, I've really messed up here. I can't believe I did this. And what happens is my pursuit of living holy is a focus on holiness and it cannot be. When it comes to living holy, your focus can't be on holiness. I think what Jesus is saying is when it comes to living holy, your focus has to be on Jesus. You notice that when we sing songs, we don't sing to holiness. We sing about holiness, you know why? Because we sing to Jesus. And so our focus when it comes to living holy has to be on Jesus because our focus determines our actions. If you don't believe me, um, it says it in the Bible and it says it in Hebrews 12, one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this, all those things, all that holy living back there, taking the sin away, running the race. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. And our focus determines our actions. In our letter to Pergamum, Jesus has a word for this. He says, repent. Repent of your sins. That word repentance, repent, um, it means to change. Change your mind, change your attitude, change your focus. And it's not just something you say, it's something you do. If you've seen The Office before, it's like bankruptcy. You can't just say bankruptcy. And you can't just declare bankruptcy, right? You have to live it out. It's a process you have to go through. Repentance isn't just something you say or declare. It's a process to live out. In fact, the imagery that surrounds repentance is beautiful. It's a turning. It's a turning of your heart from sin to Jesus, from this to Jesus, but it's a turning. And it's a change of focus that allows your actions to follow. You focus on Jesus, you walk with him daily. And all of a sudden, your decisions on what to do and what not to do, that doesn't matter because you have Jesus. I'm from Georgetown, I'm a Georgetown boy. That might explain some things if if you were wondering. I uh, remember going to school in the mornings, I would drive to Floyd Central and on my drive, there'd always be farms. And I'd be driving, I'd pass the, the milk, I'd pass the milk cows, the milk farms, and, and I'd see cows. And I'd be driving, I'd be like, all right, there's the cows. And it was so interesting to me. These farms have so much open space. As far as you can see, there's just land, there's hills. They can go play and do cow stuff, whatever they want to do. And, and the, every day that I would drive, they were always in the same place. They would be as close to the road as they could get right next to the fence. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like you have so much open space, cows. You're by the one thing that could kill you if you're not careful. And in fact, one day I'm driving home and the cows broke through the fence and I drive up on the road and I'm like, holy cow, literally. <laughs> I gotta milk these cow jokes while I can, right? Like this, this, is, my, this is my calling. I'm like, what are you doing, cow? Why, why can't you just focus on everything else? Why are you so focused on the fence? And then I heard this story about these Australian ranchers 
And I had an American um, farmer, he went out there to visit them and he's checking out their ranch, checking out what they're doing. And he kind of just goes out to their pasture and he just sees the Australian outback. It's huge, it's gorgeous. The cows are just roaming freely everywhere. And then he notices something. As far as he can see, there are no fences. And he kind of looks around, he's like, what in the, like, how does this, how are you guys doing this? And so he goes and he talks to the, uh, the farmers and he says, hey, like, I noticed you have a bunch of cows, you have a bunch of open space. You don't have any fences. How do you keep the cows from getting out? How do you keep the cows in? And the Australians, they kind of laugh at him. They're like, he's like, what, what's, what's your secret? And he says, sir, we don't build fences here. We dig wells. And he says, we find that the cows, they never stray too far from the wells. Our focus determines our actions. And so let me ask you the same question I asked you at the beginning. What are you focused on? Is your pursuit of following Jesus, of living a holy life, is it all about a fence post? Is it about a rule or a regulation? Is your whole idea of of following Jesus saying, I can't do this, I have to do this, I have to make sure I follow the rules. Is your whole pursuit of following Jesus to see how far outside the fence you can get before it hurts? Or are you focused on the well, the one thing that the cows know is gonna give them life? Revelation 2, the letter ends like this. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit. Understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. I think in our language, for our purposes today, Jesus is saying, I am that well. He says, I have hidden manna, I have provision that it's not gonna make sense where it comes from, but you're gonna get it when you need it. I'm going to provide for you in ways that you can never imagine. I'm gonna give you a white stone. And that white stone was, was a sign of so many things in the ancient world. It was a ticket to a party. It could be acquittal in a court of law. It could be just a sign of a blessing. It could be the sign of being counted. It could be all these things. He says, I'm gonna give you a new name and you're gonna have an identity that is full and it's satisfying. And it's gonna be different than you could ever imagine. He says, if you just focus on me. You don't make life by focusing on holiness, but you focus on me, you will live a holy life. When you focus on the well, not the fences, it's almost like the fences disappear. Church, I believe Jesus came down and he died on a cross and he came back to life, not so that we would just say, I'm living holy. I believe he came down, his presence. I believe he walked the earth and called us his people, his proclamation, so that we can change our purposes. God makes us holy, let's focus on him. We wanna do something a little different to end service. Um, that word repent, it's not just something you say, it's something you do. And so we're gonna sing some songs here and truly, we're gonna take away a lot of the instruments. We're gonna take away some of the, the whatever, the coolness. <laughs> and we're just gonna sing. And if this is a moment that you just need to repent in your heart, you need to turn. 
Now's the time. Some of you have been focusing on Jesus for a long time, and maybe today was just a little, a little sharpening. You just saw Jesus a little, a little clearer today. Maybe you're like, I need to buy a camera, <laughs> and I need to make sure that I'm actually focused for the first time ever. Whatever it is, right now is the chance to start. Just us, just his presence as we sing together. Let me pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, you are so good. God, I'm not sure what everyone in here is going through, but you, you are, you know. And help us to walk away from today just knowing that you're good. And God, help us walk away just focusing on you. Lord, sometimes we can overcomplicate it. I don't think holiness has to be complicated. I don't think you want it to be complicated. Help us to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, you are good. Give us the courage and the boldness to turn our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.